Welcome to The Wind Down, an afternoon podcast where two techie blokes sit down over a bowl of wine and chat about what's happening in the world of tech. Enjoy while Scott and Nick open up about their week in technology. Well, ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to The Wind Down. I'm Nick and this is Scott. And that is Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello, Scott. How are you both? Very good, thank you, Nick. Yes, thank you, Nick. And now, where are we? What are we drinking? We are in the Greenwood uh, Hotel, and we have a lovely red today, the um, Howard Park um, Cab Sav, Market River Cab Sav. Very nice. Beautiful drop. Let's try it. Yes. I mean, I've got to admit, this is probably a a good thing. It's a nice drop, because we're under the second bottle. Although, Uh, um, And where are we? Talk about the Greenwood. Where is it? Yes, North, North Sydney. In the uh, generally fairly close to our office, so that's uh, that's quite good. Um, but the good thing, I, um, I guess, is Matt's with us today, and then Matt's up from Adelaide. Yes, travelled all the way from Adelaide to, to uh, join you boys on the uh, the wonderful wind down. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, Matt works with uh, works with us as a uh, as a developer, and um, one of the I think most depressing things I find with Matt is that he lives nine minutes from McLaren Vale. <laughs> Yeah, it's a hard life, Scott, I tell you. <laughs> You've got to be very controlled. Yeah, this work-from-home thing, I tell you what, sometimes I, run, I wonder where you're working from. Anyway. <laughs> oh, well. Good old, good old virtual background. So what are we talking about today? So, look, we've been doing um, a, a lot of uh, working clients around how do we make their businesses more productive. Mm-hmm. And one of the common things we see is... Uh, the clients starting down some sort of a project to say we're, we're trying to improve the business or uh, make some part of the business uh, increase the efficiency or do something and they've acquired some software or they've acquired a SaaS platform and they said oh look I can just go click 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 and I'll make all this happen and it'll solve all my problems yep yep well there's lots of that and also you get organizations who think well software how hard can it be I'll build software that will let everybody use my unique intellectual property in a software platform. Uh, well, we see some of those well, too. That, no, that's right. You know, as in, yeah, many, many years ago, I, I worked out how to put three or four lines of code into something and spit out some answers. I can, I'm sure I can write this myself and do that. But I'll tell you what, it's, it's scary today when you see some of this. Yeah, there's a bit of a difference between building a few lines of code and, and actually building a commercial software product, right? That, that, that's right, that's right. I mean, it's... It, there's a, a big gap between expectations. Yep. And also, it's um, today, look, IT is complex. It, it, it really is these days. It is. So, we used to say when I worked at Microsoft that the first copy of any operating system, that first gold CD ROM, cost about a billion dollars. Right? Right. The next one cost 38 cents. <laughs> that, that, that's right. It's all the um, R&D costs and the development costs. Yeah. So, it's yeah. expensive to build software, but when you do, the returns can be amazing. That's right. You, just put you on the spot here. You once told me the average cost of a line of code or the thousand lines of code. Or yeah, So a line of code is estimated at the moment to be fully tested and implemented in production about $80. $80? That's wow. what most governments work off when they're specifying a project. So hang on. So if I went and wrote a little line of code that produced Hello World, you'd give me $80. It has to be useful. It can't just be something that says Hello Oh, okay. Well, Hello Nick. Oh, now that's useful. So yes, but I wouldn't give you eighty dollars for it because I also have the skills to write "Hello Nick," and I can do mine in italics. So I, I will say that today is very special. Yep. Because I just saw one of our subscribers walking by. Well, we actually had a subscriber come up to us and say, "I'm one of your subscribers." I went, "That's amazing." There's that's, two of them. You're the one. <laughs> that's right. Oh no, it's good. Yeah, it's just, a- just to add to that, uh, guys. Um, 
I'm a software engineer, and um, it's really good to have well-documented code, which means comments in your code, so it's a little bit more expensive there. Yeah. Yeah, so, so hang on. So, so my, my one line that says "Hello World," if I put nine lines of comments below that, it's still one line. Oh, really? It's still one executable line. Okay, okay. I'm just just sort of try, you know. Yeah. Oh well. And then remember, you've got to run it on something, and you've got to support it, and you've got to oh, do yes, logging, and all the other things you've got to do. It's not just as simple as that. But the metric's about eighty dollars a line of code. Okay. Well, let's see what we can do with that then. So look, we're um, when we had a look at this, we're working on. How many clients we've seen who are trying to really make all this happen, all this magic happen themselves, and they eventually, 99% of what we see tends to be, they get stuck at a certain point or really frustrated, and it ends up that they're not really helping their businesses. They just spend a lot of time and effort trying to be something that they're not. I think, I think people think, when you go and buy a piece of software, you think it's a thing that's complete. Certainly, you hope it is because you're buying it. But but what you know, and, and Matt can probably talk to this as well, software development is a journey, not a destination. Right? You start on a process to create something that you aspire to be somewhere, but you're never actually going to quite reach it. So you have to go through iteration after iteration. That's why we do software versions. Right? And it's, software doesn't live in isolation. It sits on top of an operating system that talks to networks and talks to other systems. All of that's constantly changing. And so your software has to continually update. So you need to, if you're going to get into this and build software, you have to understand that you will never stop paying to build software. It's a continual process. And if you do stop, your customers will drop off and off and off until you're getting it, no it, revenue it, anymore. Or your, your platform starts to age and become technical debt. Yep. Now that's my experience in, a, um, in, in, like software, in building software in startups and that sort of space. I know, Matt, you've worked in the commercial environment. Well, is it the same thing there? Oh, totally, Nick. Um, yeah, software is uh, definitely a journey. And um, as business requirements change, or as your business grows, the software needs to grow with it. So uh, if you start with uh, well-architected software from the beginning, then uh, that aids in that process. But definitely it's always a moving feast, and um, it, it requires TLC to, to keep it in shape like everything else. Yeah, so the, the worst, worst management comment in the world is, when will it be finished? <laughs> Are we there yet? Yeah, no. No, it doesn't mean you can't commercialise it. It doesn't mean you can't make money out of it. It doesn't mean it's not useful. But it means that continues. What, what we are seeing, though, is there are some platforms becoming available um, that do make it easier to develop solutions. Yes. You don't need to know all the programming languages anymore. You don't need to like have an IT degree or anything like that. Some of these solutions are sort of like building business processes, drag and drop, and getting a bit of bit, uh, a bit of detail in there. But you still need to really know what you're doing. I, th I think that's well. It seems we call that low code, by the way. And while that seems new to a lot of people, it's actually followed a trend. If you look at how software development started, effectively we would boot a PDP-11 by flicking switches and putting bits into memory and loading them and then doing the next bit. And then, then we moved on to something called assembly language, which was really simple. I, I can still remember LDDIR, which is a, a, a Z80 opcode for load decrement, decrement repeat. Um, just some of my age there. And then we moved into higher level languages like BASIC, Pascal, Fortran, and COBOL. And they were still still quite difficult to write. And then we start moving into what they called the four GLs, the fourth generation oh, yes. languages. And now we're into most languages we write now don't compile directly to the processor. They sit on top of a, a layer, which provides all sorts of functions that you don't have to write. So 
we don't write sort routines anymore. We don't. There's lots of things we don't write anymore. You used to have to. These are problems that have been well solved. So why try to reinvent the wheel exactly. every time? Exactly. And so low code is just the next iteration of that, where you're not typing things into a text editor anymore. You're dragging and dropping blocks, and you're now really close to solving the business problem rather than really close to the hardware and the compute capability. Okay. So it, it is easier for therefore for business owners or business analysts, for example, to go and create some processes or some systems online. Yet, I would also say that unless you're really doing that properly, as in that is your role, that's what you're studying for, you're trained, you know the software well, you're probably not going to get the result that ideally you'd like. Well, if you take the ideal of, I want to automate my people out of the loop and get the computer to do everything, you have to start and map described this really beautifully early today, you've got to understand your business process. And most people don't. They think they do, but to the level you need to detail it. Mm. I, we've just been working with a customer recently who, to be honest with you, Scott, really understood their business process, but nowhere near the detail we needed to automate it. Yeah, look, I was speaking to um, another client this morning and they described something to me and in the back of my mind I'm thinking, you know what, that, that would be very easy to automate. And we actually talked about this. I said, everything you've done there in your spreadsheets, in your calculations, in your numbers, we could automate that very easily. However, I don't know if automating it would actually help the business because it's the fact that you're actually in this spreadsheet every day, looking at these numbers, putting them in, updating them, and really focusing on what they are. That's where the value in the business is because now you're on top of your numbers and you know whether you've got to do something more or and change the way things are happening or something like that. Yeah, and, and there are things that can be automated. You know, I was at an accounting conference and um, you know, this guy's up on stage and saying, the biggest thing ever to happen to the accounting industry is two monitors. You know why? <laughs> so they can copy data from one system to another. You know, yeah. last time I looked, computers are okay at that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so that kind of automation, that kind of stupid busy work we all do for some of our day, we need to find ways to automate that, and there's systems that will help but us but do this that. Is, this is the paradigm shift part. This is the, the Uber versus the better taxi. Yep. The, the little changes are, yes, we can improve the taxi, but Uber comes along in this paradigm shift and says, I'm going to, to completely change the way the industry works. And that's the thing that really gives us the gain. Yeah, but and, and with, with respect, you know, for every Uber, there's 700,000 failed startups who thought they could revolutionize their industry. Now, writing a software business, writing software is one thing, that's hard enough, but then implementing it, marketing it, getting it in people's hands, making it scale, making it do what people need, getting rid of the bugs, all of those things make it really lucky if you get it right. Especially these days where an average programmer coming out of university can write some code in their garage, publish a little iOS app and all of a sudden find that you know, it's got a million subscribers. I was going to say it's lucky now you can actually write write code in the house. You don't need to be in the garage to write code now. It's, it's quite, quite well, fascinating. You can actually stay in the warm. <laughs> In some respects, staying in the garage in the cold was a, a good driver to do well, so you could move into the house. Yes. I don't know. Cool. So, um, oh, we've talked about that. We've talked about low code. But fundamentally, you know, I, I see businesses all the time who've gone and with no experience in software development written software. I haven't seen that end well many times. I've, a few I have, yeah, but look, not they, many. They, they tend to get to a point where if it does 
work well, and yes, it can run the business, but then either the person that did it is tied to that business and that bit of software, because if they go, even on leave, no one knows how to change it or fix it or do whatever if anything happens to it. Alternatively, if you want to take that and make that software do something else, you're really limited to that person's concept of what programming is. Oh, well, let me give you a cracking example. I used to work for a, a major bank somewhere in the world, um, and they handled a whole bunch of mortgages. And in that jurisdiction, when the bank had a mortgage, they kept the deeds for your house. And they kept it in a physical blue envelope, and all the envelopes were identical. And on the front of the envelope was a barcode. And they had 1.3 million of these packets and they get it out to do some transaction and put it back in the vaults and, and it will get tracked using barcode scanners in this single Windows NT4 server <laughs> called the, I won't tell you what it's called because then everyone knows what I'm talking about. And one day it went down and I was there doing support and, and I said, um, well, who was the guy who wrote the software? And they go, well, really sorry, he's not with us. I said, well, he might have left, but has anybody got a phone number? He went, no, no, he's really not with us. And so the guy who'd written it had passed away. And nobody had any idea how this, you know, SQL 4.5 database talking to a, a Visual Basic middleware layer actually worked. And they and um, one of the execs went, "Oh, it's fine. We can do it all manually." We did the calculations. It would have taken them 11 years, working seven hours a day across their entire team to identify all of the packets. Yeah, we we saw this with some a very old software attached to some very old machinery a while ago as well. The, um, the software one day just decided to stop working. And it was literally from the late 90s. GW Basic. Yes. And um, it had load up. I think Bill Gates actually wrote that. <laughs> he, 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 he may very well have, actually. Um, it, um, the software would load up. It would start to look like it was going to do something, and all of a sudden it would just exit. So, so that, we, we've seen that in, in our little places. Matt, and you've worked yeah. in, like... Places where software is mission critical, right? Where, where if it goes wrong, people don't survive. Do you see that happening there too? Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I remember uh, a few years ago going to a, a banking conference and, um, and one ba bank in particular stressed that they had uh, to have uh, five backup sites because if the uh, system was down for more than a day, they, they lose their business. So, yeah. Um, but that's on the, the grand scale, but, um, but often... In, um, you know, from the small scale to in between, you, you still need the, um, the backup ability. You still need um, a team to maintain the software to share the uh, the information across programmers. Uh, they're very, very important. Hey, that's that's an interesting point. We haven't talked about that a lot, but I will. Everybody has this concept in their head, at least in business, of the IT guy or <laughs> the developer. From my experience, you can't build software with a single person. No, no, it's definitely a, t a team to build software. Good software requires a team. So everything from project management to business analysts, um, subject matter experts, yeah, um, test. testers, um, uh, trainers. So yeah, it definitely requires a team to get it right. Yeah, and also one developer can't test their own code because it's like <laughs> it's like testing your own email. You yes. can't spot your own spelling mistakes. That's right, Nick. It's generally not a good idea. And, uh, <laughs> you usually have a, a team dedicated to, to testing. Yep. But um, also... Um, Developers can write unit tests for their own software, but um, but you can't beat that uh, human element of a test team. Yep. Um, going over the software with a fine tooth, uh, tooth comb before it gets to the users. Yep. No, for sure. So let's look at that a step further. Let's let's say I, I decide to develop some software or develop a platform. Do I go and just hire a team of people in house to do this? Is that is that what you've seen? 
yeah, that's a good point. It really um, comes with a lot of consideration as to um, you know building bespoke systems. You really need to look around and um, make a judgment about whether there's something already around that that does that. Uh, these days, software as a service is, is very popular. It makes a lot of sense because um, other people are, are doing the hard work um, when it comes to testing and releasing new versions of the software, and that can often be a lot cheaper for your business to uh, to engage software as a service rather than building your own. I'd also say managing a software dev team. If you're a company that builds widgets, suddenly managing a software development team is a totally different experience to the staff that go and build widgets. And I've seen lots of failures where like an accounting firm has built a software development team. For a start, nobody wants to work there because you know, software devs want to do leading edge stuff. Secondly, they don't want to hang around there because it's, it's accounting, not anything else. It's difficult, right? I've generally found developers to be a very unique group of people compared to your average people in a business. And they need a need to be managed differently. They've got different metrics. They've got different ways of doing things. Maybe the developers are right, and everyone else is wrong. Oh, you could very well be the case. <laughs> yes, it's a it's, it's a very long term commitment uh, building your own software. Um, and I've seen s systems where they've engaged developers or a team to build the software, and then the team's moved on, and the business has been left with the software. And generally, it just stagnates; nothing happens to it. They don't know what to do um, with it, right? Yeah. The, meanwhile, the operating systems and uh, versions of software that it's built on change and progress. And uh, often, these these systems just just stay there, and um, after a while, they become they become unmaintainable. Yeah. So um, that's why it's very very important to always keep your software moving along with a with a team. And I think that's that's worthwhile understanding, right? The underlying platform we write on and this would be the same if you wrote on top of Java or you wrote on top of something else we wrote on top of .NET that does a major version upgrade every year in November right and so if your software doesn't keep up to date with that its maximum longevity for support is three years yeah. Yeah. Well, to, to be fair though I don't know we've found a lot of bugs in the underlying platform there are security vulnerabilities that's complicated okay. that is fair that is fair indeed yeah and you've got to keep up to date with those so we run across our code we run this thing called dependabot and dependabot tells us whenever any component we rely on needs upgrading now i tell you dependabot is firing 30 or 40 things a week at us and, and this is the thing these days that it's not so much that hey, i found a bug in the operating system or something like that and it's stopping my code running it's a security flaw has been identified, am I exposed? Yeah. And or, if or, I don't patch it, what, what's wrong? Or, or Microsoft are expiring TLS 1.1 and we've all got to move to TLS 1.2 and that means suddenly your code won't talk to anything because you haven't upgraded it. Or they, they changed how disk access works and you've got to, these things change. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was a uh, quite significant bug that was um, identified in, um, in one of the um, platforms that you build software on. I won't mention what it was. But um, very, very significant, and it opened the uh, the door for um, for hacks and attacks from the internet, and it was very, very significant. And um, a, a lot of companies really had to um, um, do a lot of work to, to patch that up. And again, um, that would have been a lot more difficult um, if you had a system where the software wasn't being maintained, because you got to get a team to get across your software to do that upgrade, and then to retest, etc. And, and I think the other thing to think about is a lot of people don't realize size. They think, oh, if my software gets successful, I'll make lots of money. Well, if I look at organizations who built software that's successful, I'll take a New Zealand example, Zero. Well, they're spending $250 million a year on software development. 
right? So you look at the the cost, you need to match that with revenue and make that work. So, and, and they have to keep up with everything the rest of us have to keep up with. So it's important to think about, and that's not saying don't do it. There's scenarios where this can really work. But for most Australian organizations, unless you're a software company, it makes sense to go to a third party who knows how to do this, who's working on lots of projects, who can bring that big, broad knowledge into your domain, I think, and make it work. Kind of like the team I run. Yeah, but I, I, well, yeah. Uh, very, oh, sorry, did I pop that in? Sorry. Very self-serving, I think. Yes, well, well done, Nick. Um, no, but I, look, it, I think it is true, though. That it's, it, unless you're either choosing to be in the software business, in which case, certainly go build your team, but be in the software business, um, then you're probably not going to achieve the result that you need or that you want. Yep. And it's more cost-effective, and you might get a much better result going external. Yeah, no, I agree. And often uh, one model that's very effective is, um, you know, as a business you engage software as a service, but you do have your own in-house developers to do um, high-level uh, programming or, or build um, extra systems on top of that. Um, yep. And uh, there might be different reporting requirements or different workflow requirements. So you use the software as a service as the base software and then yeah, use your guys for um, actually doing uh, really important things for your particular business. The other thing I think I think about if you're going into this is it's not just building the software. Once the software is in market, uh, who's the who's your customer going to call? Exactly. Because your dev teams aren't going to want to support it because that's not what dev teams do. That's so right. where's the help desk? Where's the support infrastructure? Where's that stuff? And I think that you need to think about that as well. Yes, that, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you've got a large product with a, a, a huge customer base, yeah. um, developers can get very overwhelmed very quickly without that backup, without that um, help desk. Cool. Scott, you don't have a mic, so no one can hear you. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. I think that wraps it up. That was an interesting conversation. Thank you, Matt. It was. Yeah, pleasure to be here, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming all Thank the way you. from Adelaide to still wind down with us. We appreciate it. Yes. Go back to your uh, bottles of wine and you're uh, <laughs> working from home, I believe. Yes. Yeah, always very good. And, uh, yeah, you guys will have to come to South Australia for a, a wind we'll, down. We'll come we're there, we're there. Okay. We're, 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 we're. <laughs> so next week, the wind down will be from South Australia in the wineries. So. And so. the week after. <laughs> and the week after. <laughs> so anyway, look, thank you so much for watching or listening. If you do like what you hear, make sure you give us a like, make sure you subscribe. And if you want to discuss a topic, leave a comment. But for me, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye.